Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. An Erios production. Menopause is coming and the men have all left town. But I'm not giving up until I see that baby crown. Could be bald and bearded, shorter or tall Funny, smart, love basketball From gay, straight, black, white Tiny eyes with an underbite I just need sperm Spermcast Hey everybody, we've got an important interview coming up So I'm just going to skip updates so we can get right to it I also don't really have any updates this week Except that I haven't really been feeling great Lots of crying very jumpy and fearful. Everything's freaking me out. I'm extra sensitive. Mm. I don't know. Yesterday I tried to tap a maple tree and I started weeping. I felt bad for the tree. I felt like I was potentially causing it pain. None of the sap was going in the bucket. It was just running down the side. And I thought I made a hole in this tree for no reason. Anyway, ugh, I'm fine. I'm fine now. It's going to be fine. The tree's fine, I'm sure. Everyone keeps telling me. <laughs> So I guess those were my updates. Anyway, let's talk to Kate Carson. I found Kate through the Ending a Wanted Pregnancy Support Group, and her story of her late-term termination or abortion is brutal. Really difficult to listen to, but also really important to listen to. She's able to put into words some of the emotions and feelings, a lot of the emotions and feelings that I've been feeling, but haven't been able to articulate about my own tragic experience. And she shines a sobering light on the political side of abortion and women's rights. And boy, oh boy, we've got some work to do. She's told her story in many publications and elected officials have told it on the Senate floor. But I'm just as impressed by the insightful and supportive words she writes on Facebook each time a new woman joins the group and needs help. I remember when I found the support group feeling like I was the only one who had ever been through this. Yeah. You know, just like so lonely. And then meeting all those people and they're always coming through the door, right? So yeah. it's like always the same things come up over and over again. Just today, someone was saying about how they like really regretted not viewing their ch child's remains. Yeah. Like that's tough like every week. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I've, I, yeah, I've only been in there a couple of weeks and I've seen a lot of the same stuff over and over again, which would all be solved if people just talked about this stuff in the real world. Right. It's. <sighs> so stigmatized, yeah. you know, because you are operating in a, a fertility space, which is already mm -hmm. stigmatized. Mm -hmm. And then you talk about this and you get someone who supposedly works in healthcare just eviscerating you. I mean, yes. you know how, <laughs> how hard it is to be the taboo buster, yeah. right? Well, I've only gotten that one negative comment so far. I feel like I'm in for it. I'm sure you've gotten thousands since you've been published. I really try not to read them. Yeah, yeah. It's so mean. It's so mean. Yeah. People lose sight of the fact that we are bereaved mothers. Yes. And I think they want to lose sight of that. 
because it is really hard. It's a really hard story that you have. It's a really hard story that I have. And to live in a world where this happens, you got to be braver mm-hmm. just knowing this happens. Mm-hmm. My, I was telling, I don't know who, maybe a therapist or something, how I don't, like, I, I don't get angry at much. And even with that review, I didn't get angry. I got sad uh, and I definitely took it personally, which I shouldn't have done, but but I also saw her perspective, which is maybe I, maybe I shouldn't, but not that I thought she was right, but I saw where she was coming from in so much as she feels so passionately about this view of what this is. She feels so passionately right. that like if I felt passionately about somebody, like I do something like, like I think passionately about the environment. And if I heard on some podcast... <laughs> that this guy loves throwing trash in the ocean, I would absolutely go on his thing because I wouldn't want him spreading the idea that that's okay to do. And that's what she's trying to, she's trying to stop me from spreading the idea that this is okay. But you aren't saying I love killing babies. (laughs) No, that is is not what you're saying. That's absolutely true. I know you're right. You're right. And and that's what I'm saying. I can see I can see her perspective too, and it's important to be able to see people's perspective. But I think one of the reasons why it's easy for us to internalize and to see the other side is because we've really been brainwashed into that our entire lives. Yes. Um, so even though I consider myself pro-choice and have considered myself pro-choice as long as I have known about what choice means. Mm-hmm. I am still a product of my culture yeah. and I have still been brainwashed to believe that this is murder, right? Mm-hmm. There's a level of my consciousness that has accepted that and that I, I live with still, still, I have not erased that from mm-hmm. my consciousness, but it doesn't hurt me anymore. You yeah. know, it hurt for a long time. Um, and so it's so easy for you to take, oh, yes, I can see that, you know, because like there's parts of you that are already punishing yourself for the exact same thing she's saying. Yeah, you're so right. There's a level of the processing where you are already your worst critic and you are, there's nothing anyone could say that you haven't already told yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Starting off light. <laughs> oh. Then I asked Kate to tell us her story. Back in 2012, I was mom to a two-year-old named Elsie. She's my firstborn. And, you know, it had been pretty easy to have Elsie. Like, it took us five months to get pregnant, and I thought that was, like, so crazy long, and I just had no idea. Like, I had no idea what people go through. So she was a very healthy baby. She was born in a hospital locally. Everything was good. She's, like, a really smart and energetic and healthy little kid. And my husband and I had been trying to have another child, and we had had three miscarriages in a row. Oh, so yeah, it it was one after the other, after the other. And every miscarriage I would have, everything would just feel so much more fraught and like the stakes were so much higher. So of course I was so happy. However, I was also very skittish about this pregnancy and I did not feel like everything was okay, but I chalked it all up to my history of losses, right? So you get to 12 weeks and people are like, oh, you can announce it. 
you get to have your anatomy scan. And to make a really long story short, someone thought she might have seen something wrong on the anatomy scan, but I was sent to a level two and it was reversed. The MFM, the maternal fetal medicine guy, was like, great news. This baby is healthy. Everything is good. We go in to see the genetic counselor. She's like basically breaking out the champagne. She's so happy. I mean, she has to tell people bad news all day, every day. So like, she was just so happy. And I remember looking at her and saying, what if he's wrong? Like, what are the chances that that he's wrong? And she said, no, to reverse a diagnosis like this, he would, he would, he's staking his career on it. You know, oh. it's a really big risk to him. What week was, and I was this? Like, was this 20 week? Yeah, this was like the oh. normal anatomy scan. I think oh, it was yeah. 19 weeks. I okay. think it was a little ahead of schedule. And she was just so sure. And he was so sure. And I was like, should I come back? And they're like, no, you don't need to come back. Like, get out of here. Go back to your midwives. Oh Have fun at the birth center. You know? And unfortunately, they were incorrect. Yeah. And we didn't realize for sure that they were incorrect until I was 35 weeks pregnant. Mm. So sometime as I was preparing for this uh, birth center birth with my midwives, mm-hmm. My midwife kept asking me how I was feeling, and I kept being very anxious. Mm. And, you know, the midwife model of care is like, we don't want to send you into a birth anxious, like closed mind, closed heart, closed vagina. Like, mm-hmm. we don't want to do that, right? We got we to gotta set you at ease. So I was measuring small, but I have measured small in all of my pregnancies. So this was not alarming to me. But I'm still very pregnant at this point. She's putting the measure around my body, around like my belly button, my waistline. And it's a little small. And she's like... Great. That gives us an excuse to send you in. You'll be able to see your baby. You'll have peace of mind. You won't have to worry about this anymore. Yeah. The the thing that was really freaking me out about this pregnancy is that my baby never stopped moving. So I try to tell my doctors, I try to tell my midwives that the baby, she just like moves all the time. And they're like, that's great. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, like all the time, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And And they'd be like, no, that's great. I don't think it was great. I, I think she was having seizures in my womb. I yeah. think that's what's happening. Do you Did they feel, the movements feel different? Absolutely. The character of the movements in my pregnancy were very erratic. And like, I've had, I've heard another woman whose baby had the same diagnosis yeah. describe it as falling down the stairs. It was like my baby was oh falling down God. the stairs all day and all night. And when she said that, I recognized it immediately. I was like, yes, it's like spastic and jittery and just like, bum, 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 bum. Oh my God. You know, Elsie, when she was as basically as soon as I could feel her, we would play this little game where I would push my hand up against whatever part of her, her elbow, her heel, whatever was against my belly. And I would like nudge it. And she would flutter back, yeah. you know, and I would nudge her. She would kick back. And it was definitely responsive. Like, we were definitely having a little touch conversation. And I would try that with this baby, and she would never respond. It was just always like, bah, 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 right? Yeah. You know, I would joke about it. I'd be like, oh, she's going to give us a run for our money. She is never going to stand still. Like, it's like she doesn't even sleep. It was like she didn't even sleep. Oh. And babies are supposed to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> So this is what made me so unsettled about it. That when I say like I had a bad feeling, I also had evidence that something was wrong. And when I would try to express that, it was very hard to be taken seriously because of course, what you're worried about if you're an obstetrician or a midwife, you're worried about like a cord accident, a placental problem, you're worried about the baby dying 
in the womb and becoming still, right? Like that's, yeah. that's the problem. Yeah. So there's no, as far as I know, there's no literature about this. This is just the folk knowledge, right? No literature me, about what? Brain anomalies associated with a lot of motion. Oh, I hear you. Okay. Yeah, as far as I know, that that is not a thing that is documented. I see. If it is, it isn't widely known. Mm -hmm. So I go in for this ultrasound. It's framed as being a reassurance ultrasound. We'll just make sure everything's great. You'll be able to go to this joyous natural birth at our birth center. It's going to be awesome. And so I go to the big teaching hospital again, and I go to the same room that I was in before. Same room as when? As 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 when the maternal fetal medicine doctor did... Yes. Wow. Okay. The same room as, as when I had been seen um, at 19 weeks. Okay. And I'm all by myself. <laughs> I'm all by myself because I think everything's fine. Yes. And because my husband has been feeling pressure to be at work and not with me yeah. at this moment. And I have a technician and she, I am just like chatty Kathy. <laughs> oh my God. And she is just not giving anything back. And I think, well, okay, well, maybe she's having a bad day. So I ask her about her kids. She tells me about her adult children. And finally, I'm just like chattering. And I say, you know, it's hard for me to believe that this baby is going to be different. Like every time I imagine my baby, I'm just remembering what it was like with my first baby. But this one's different. She's a whole new person. It's really hard to wrap my head around. And the technician stopped. And she looked me straight in the eye. And she said, this baby's different. Mm. And then she sort of shook it off and she said, they're all different. And she got up and she walked out of the room. That was the last thing she said? Yeah. Oh, my God. And she brings in the doctors. And I am, there's a lot of downtime, you know, like waiting rooms, all the sounds. And so I've taken out my knitting and I'm knitting. I'm like sitting there on the table. Are you getting nervous? No, no, I'm not. Because even though I had this fear, I was also consistently gaslighting myself that I was just an anxious pregnant woman. Right. And so, like, I was not afraid. Yeah. And I didn't know. You know, like, now I know what the clues are, (laughs) you know. But I didn't know what the clues are were then. Um, And they come in and they say... I'm so sorry, but the problems we didn't see last time, we're seeing them today. And I can't remember exactly how it went, but they they said something. I don't think they named it yet. I think they said, your your baby has malformations in her brain. Mm. And right off the bat, they said, we can offer you adoption or we can help connect you with the doctors, the neurologists who would treat your baby when your baby's born. Mm -hmm. We don't know about abortion. We would have to call around. And I'm in shock. And the defense walls have just shot up. Yeah. And there's a part of my brain that is processing Don't cry. Don't get hysterical. You need these women on your team. Like, you need them not to think you're crazy. Like, just keep it together. Mm. Everything's going to be fine. One foot in front of the other. (laughs) Right? It's like a pure denial, but also, like, you're going to need, you're going to need them to take you seriously. And I just sort of looked at them and I said, do they even do abortions for women like me? 
What I meant was 35 weeks pregnant women out of 40. And my doctor said, well, we used to send women to Kansas, but we can't anymore. And I will tell you that in my brain, I remembered some headline I had read, not even paying attention, about Dr. Tiller being shot in the face at church in Kansas. And I was like, oh, oh, this is the world. This is the world I live in now. Okay, where my decisions could make people want to shoot me in the face. And I didn't know how doctors feel about this. You know, it would have been different if this had appeared if this had appeared in early testing when I was 12 weeks pregnant, right? I would have felt differently. I wouldn't have assumed that my doctors weren't to be trusted. But because I was 35 weeks pregnant, I was just like, I don't know who I can trust. Mm. And I can't even assume that I can trust my medical providers. What were you not trusting? That if I said I wanted an abortion, it would still continue to treat me with, Uh with respect and autonomy for my body. Oh, I, I understand that. That they wouldn't try to punish me in some way. That is a fear I still carry. <laughs> me too. Well, when I had to go to the hospital after my D&E, and when I got to the hospital, every time I ta- saw a new doctor, I had to make sure they all knew how much I wanted my baby so that they would try to keep me alive, as if they would treat me with any less respect if I didn't want the baby. Yes. But it's their yes. job. I mean, they're oath. Yes, and they are human. Yeah. And this is very controversial, right? All of this is true. Yeah. But the fact remains, we see people come into our group who were purposefully misled by doctors. It is not common, but it does happen. Yeah. You know, yeah. We, we do see doctors putting their own politics ahead of, of patient bodily autonomy and safety even. Mm. It's rare, but it happens. Yeah. So... Again, it's a very long story, but the short version is that we got an MRI. We needed more testing. Brain anomalies have a huge range of outcomes from, oh, I didn't even know I had a brain anomaly until I got this MRI for something else, Mm -hmm. to incompatible with life, can't coordinate a heartbeat as soon as you are out of the body, cannot survive a birth. Mm -hmm. And my baby's conditions... She had two overlapping sets of, of brain anomalies. One is called Danny Walker malformation. It's a set. It's like a handful of anomalies that often come together. Oh. And the other is called agenesis of the corpus callosum, which is where the, the bridge between the hemispheres of the brain doesn't form. Mm. Either of these two things has a range of severities that inca- inc- goes from very mild to very severe, right? They both have that. But when you have them together, it shifts the outcome to being moderate to severe mm. in both of them. And then they, the way they interact is <laughs> additionally oh. problematic. So her prognosis was that she was not expected. Okay, let me be specific. I always say she was not expected to walk, talk, eat or like swallow. But to be very clear what the doctor actually told me, she will probably not talk. If she speaks, it will be just a few words. And after years of intensive therapy, Mm. she will probably not walk. If she walks, it will be with braces. And after years and years of therapy, Mm. she will probably not be able to coordinate swallowing full stop. In fact, she will certainly not be able to coordinate swallowing. (laughs) 
and she will likely not be able to hold up the weight of her own, own head ever. Mm. I was listening to these cants, and, and to be very clear, he's not just, uh, people get really jumpy about cants and disabilities, but we're in crisis, and in crisis, the, the language is very simple. And we're just trying to get a few things across. And I'm still sort of in denial world. And I say, it's all these things she can't do. And I say, what will she be able to do? Is my baby just going to sleep all the time? And Molly, he winced. And he said, babies like your baby are not often comfortable enough to sleep. Oh, so sad. At this point, my husband's with me at this point. Yeah. I had called him. He's here. And this is after the MRI. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when we walked out, that was our last meeting of that day. It was a full day. And when we walked out and we got in the car, I knew, I knew, I knew that I wanted the abortion, but I could not say the word. It was so shameful and so hard when I had tried so hard for this baby. And I loved her so much to say, Abortion, and here I am, and I don't even know if it's available. And I'm like, enormous. Yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> no one would look at me and not know if I was pregnant. I, I was eight months pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> and I, my husband is a very um, loving man who would like to please me all the time, and he tends to say what he thinks I want to hear <laughs> in situations like this. And I said, please. I need to know. I don't want you to say what you think I want to hear. I need to know what you want to do. Yeah. And he said, Kate, you don't have to do this, but I think we should ask about the abortion. And Molly, it was like I was let out of prison. It was like all the darkness and the weight that had been sitting on me just lifted and like the fresh air and the sunshine shone in. And the only way I can describe it is is grace. It was like a Mm. moment of pure grace. And I knew, I knew that I could do this and that I wanted to do this and that I was going to be okay because I had my husband. I didn't know that it was going to turn out okay because I had no idea where the provider was and if it was safe and it was legal. Right, right, but right. But I, I knew that I was going to go for it because it was what my conscience could bear. Yeah. So my doctor called me back. She returned my call. I had left a cryptic message being like, I want to know all of my options. Because who knows who answers the messages. Right, right, right. And she called me back. She said, uh, here's the number of an adoption agency who deals in children who are medically complex. And here's the number of an abortion provider. And she said, I'm so sorry. But I have to hang up now because you have to call them right away. Because there's no time. If that's what you're interested in, you have to call them right away. Yes. It, it was 6.30 p.m. in Boston. On a Friday. Okay. The clinic closed for the weekend in a half an hour, and I had to have talked to them before then. Because why? Because I had come up against the provider's deadline. Got you. For when I could have this procedure. So I did call. They were very kind. And they said, you you have to fly Monday. You have to come in on Tuesday. And you have to show up to pay up front $25,000. Oh, my God. We did not have $25,000. No. <laughs> That was not the kind of situation we were in. No. But I I did not want to ask about help because it would be friction and I could not afford friction. And so I just said, okay. Friction on the way to making this happen. Yeah, exactly. I just, I didn't want to make anyone doubt 
that we could pay that, you know, I didn't want to make anyone have any reason to say no to me. Yep. I understand. Thankfully, my parents helped with the money. Mm. They were able to take it out of their retirement early. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. But we didn't even have a business day. So, like, we could have gotten a loan. We have good credit, at least. But yeah, we didn't even have a business day. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> we were flying on the Monday. It wasn't going to happen. So, my parents were able to stay here and do what they needed to do to get us the money by Tuesday morning. And um, thank God. And they were God supportive. Obviously. Yeah. And it was, it was this moment where like, I talked to my mom about it and I was crying. I said, we're going to ask about the abortion. She said, Kate, that's exactly what I would do. Oh, thank God. But she had to ask because she has not been the breadwinner in our family. Mm -hmm. She had to ask my dad and we, neither of us knew what he was going to say. Yeah. He loves me very much. He's a very kind man, but he, he thinks a lot about things like when life begins, you know, like he, he's a deep thinker. And, but he was like, this is exactly why this procedure exists. Yeah. You know? So we went to Dr. Hearn's excellent clinic in Boulder, Colorado. And, and he doesn't um, mind having his name out there? No. No. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about him real quick? Abs- oh, yes. He's my hero. Okay. He's my angel on this earth. Okay. He's, he's brusque. His manner is brusque. He cares so deeply about this work that he does and he's aware of his bedside manner and he has surrounded himself by nurses and therapists and staff of all sorts who are the most compassionate people that I've ever met. So Dr. Hearn decided that this is what he was going to do with his life when he was working. I don't know if he was Doctors Without Borders, but he was working as a physician in the obstetric ward in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And the way he describes it is that on the one side, you had all these women having babies who wanted to have babies, and it was like a joyful situation. And on the other side, you had all these women injured and dying of botched abortions. Hmm. And this is where he decided that the most important work he could do in medicine was to provide abortions for women who needed them. This is all happening right around the time of Roe v. Wade, and he established his clinic as soon as Roe v. Wade was passed, basically, and has been operating constantly ever since. His clinic has been shot at. He has death threats on him all the time. He was very good friends with Dr. Tiller, who was assassinated, and some of his other colleagues across the country, including in Boston, have been assassinated. And he knows what he's up against, and he keeps doing it because he understands that for women like me, I would have done anything. I would have put myself in very dangerous situations to avoid bringing my daughter into the world when all that was here for me legally was her invasive, brutal resuscitation. For what? Like, for what? Right? I I did not have. She, you explain that to me. This one boggles the minds of all the reporters I talk to because it is mind-boggling, because it is legit crazy. When I heard that she could not swallow, I said, this is very sad, but I know what I want to do. I don't want to feed her. I I mean, obviously, she can try to breastfeed, but if she's not going to, you know, like, this is very sad, but now I know how she's going to die. And they said, oh, no, (laughs) You, you can't refuse a feeding tube. Oh, We were told sort of off the record that we could write a DNR, do not resuscitate order for an infant, 
but that we would have to be physically present to enforce it. Oh, my God. I, I mean, in my imagination, what that means is that you put the DNR on the door or wherever, but if she flatlines, people are going to come in and want to save her. And I, who had just had a baby, who was trying to, like, peacefully let my baby go, would have to, like, physically obstruct the heroes coming through the door and be like, no. Right. And that's, like, would the security guards come and take me away and they resuscitate her anyway? I don't know. Would I go to prison for accosting a doctor? I don't know. Would I go to prison because in in our system that's thought of as neglectful parenting? I don't know. You know, uh, would I have my daughter taken away because I was deemed unfit to be a mother? These are real questions that I really grappled with when making my decision to have an abortion. And you had to think about all of that stuff, having never thought about it in your life before, and you had yeah. a, a a weekend to think about it. <laughs> That's, yes, that's accurate. Yes, that is it. That's crazy. I really, I always say I thought about all the possibilities and I really think that I did. Like I did not sleep when I was waiting to find out when I was waiting for that MRI. I didn't, I really didn't sleep. I didn't eat. Like my brain was just going and going and going. What if this, what if that? And that includes like rosy pictures too. That includes like how much am I going to love this baby who's medically complex despite all the challenges? Mm -hmm. Enormously. Yeah. Infinitely, right? So yeah. all of that was part of this process. But at the end of the day, given the legal constraints on our situation, the only option I could live with was the abortion. Right. That was it. If hospice had been available, that is an option I also could have lived with. But it wasn't. And... I am just me. So just because I would have chosen hospice, maybe, doesn't mean that someone else could live with that choice. So I am advocating for more choices, including hospice. I'm not advocating for hospice instead of abortion. It has to be both and. Well, I don't understand how hospice is different from... No, I do. I, I don't really... I just don't... I know what hospice is, and I know what the DNR is. I just don't understand how it's all... A hospice situation would allow you to have a baby where everyone knows there's going to be no intervention. Okay. And so sometimes you'll see this in our group. Sometimes women, it's some hospitals, and I see this more in Canada, actually, than I see in the United States, but it's sometimes here too. You'll see a woman induced into labor, say up to 25 weeks-ish. And sometimes the baby does survive, and they get to hold their baby as the baby dies. Oh. Because even though... You know, we, we hear about 25-week preemies and we hear about them surviving. That depends on a lot of technology being utilized, yes, right? Yes, That depends on, on getting the, the lung-developing hormones, for example. And if you don't have lung-developing hormones, you're not going to be able to get enough oxygen to the brain to survive full stop. So okay. without intervention at all, babies born at 25 weeks naturally die. Right. And so that is one kind of abortion procedure that does happen, is the sort of like early induction, natural death scenario. And that is not legal in the United States or in, in certain states? It's all state by state. I know that it happens in some hospitals here. Uh -huh. Like I, I know that it is legal okay. in the United States. Oh, it's hospital-based. It would be hospital and state-based. Anyway, I'm okay. sorry. That's no, like, no, I wanted to know about Dr. What's his name again? Heller? Dr. Hearn. Hearn. Dr. Hearn, H-E-R-N Hearn. His clinic is the Boulder Abortion Clinic in Boulder, Colorado. It is excellent. He is in the business of preserving the physical integrity of 
of women's bodies yeah. so that we can go on to have Healthy more babies. children so that we can go on to have our lives back. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. So the procedure starts on day one with so much counseling. And this is real counseling. This isn't like bullshit the government makes you do it to guilt trip women counseling. This is like actual, we need to make sure that you know what you're doing yeah. and that you are making this decision and no one is making it for you, right? To protect me in case I had been in a domestic violence situation, in case anyone had been trying to coerce me. That was easy. This was very clearly something that I was choosing. Mm-hmm. And it was actually very very reassuring because when I went to Colorado, I did not know that Dr. Hearn was the safest doctor in the world Mm -hmm. for this. I did not know that my abortion was going to be safe and legal. I know I had been handed a phone number and told to show up with $25,000. Holy shit. How does that feel? Yeah. Yeah. It felt illegal. This feels like pre Roe v. Wade stuff. And it could have been because there are doctors that operate illegally. There's one called Kermit Gosnell who was running a butcher shop basically a drug dealer and butcher shop out of philadelphia like i would be exactly the kind of woman who would be preyed upon by someone but dr hearn is a upstanding physician yeah who cares very much about my autonomy so the first day after all the counseling i give consent and he he is my witness so he has to witness me signing the consent form my husband is not there it has to be just me Mm. That's, again, for coercion reasons. Yeah. And then he took me into a little room in his clinic, and I had the, oh, God, my nurse. She was an angel. I mean, she held my hand as he gave my baby the injection. By this time, we had named her. Um, My husband and I named our baby Laurel after the mountain Laurel that was blooming at the time. Oh, beautiful. We just wanted... A name that was like wild and free yeah. and really far away from all of this medical stuff. And so he laid Laurel to rest in my womb with a single injection. So he made an injection to her heart. And I remember I was just lying there, you know, submitting to this shot. Yeah. And I, I was thinking to myself, if she were born alive on her first day, we would give her a prick for babies on their first day, get a little heel prick. And then I was thinking of all the shots we would give her. I was thinking of all the injections that I had given Elsie in order to spare her from harm of disease. Right. And I thought, this is just one shot. This is the only shot she ever has to get. Yeah. And so over the next couple of hours, we went back to our hotel and she passed over the next couple of hours. Oh, God. Oh, I'm sorry, I have yeah. to, I'm going to cry too. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> well, I just, for me, this was the hardest moment for me too. I don't know if it was the hardest for you, but this was the hardest for me. It's so hard 
It's so hard. And I always say, you know, of course, Dr. Hearn delivered the injection. But as far as I'm concerned, I did. You know, as far as this is the thing that I did. And this is the thing my husband, as supportive and wonderful as he was, and as much as he said the word abortion first, he can never take that from me. This is my burden. Right? Yeah. Knowing for sure that I am the one who killed her. And I do use the word killed. I do not use some other meaner words. But, you know, English doesn't have enough words to get the right ones. Sometimes I will say, you know, I killed my baby. And my friends will be shocked. They're shocked. (laughs) And I'm like, are you... (laughs) Are you, you think I wasn't there? <laughs> oh, no. Um, and sometimes I will say, you know, we euthanized her. And that is also true. That's actually a little closer. Yeah. And sometimes I will say I had a stillbirth, which I did, right? Because that's what the next three days were about, was yeah. dilating the cervix. And then on the fourth day, the final day, on the, a Friday again, delivering my baby. And it, it's a stillbirth. And it's a stillbirth without an epidural. It's a stillbirth without anesthesia. It's like a a raw, wild stillbirth. So I I birthed her in the clinic, and um, I had asked to view her. I was so glad they made it a box on the thing that I could tick. Like, do you want private cremation? Check. Do you want to view your baby? Check. Because if they hadn't made it that easy... In that, you remember how I said I didn't want friction? I might not have asked. Right. I did want it. I wanted it so badly, and I might not have asked. And so a few minutes after I delivered my baby and all the regular vomit and blood and goo, just like any other birth. Yeah. Dr. Hearn himself brought her to me. And and my husband. My husband was with me. And I remember I had her in my lap. And I put, I kissed her forehead and she was still warm from my body heat, but she was not quite warm enough. And I remember looking at her and knowing this isn't Laurel. Laurel's been gone for three days. This is just body, you know? Yeah. And Dr. Hearn said, I'll leave you with her. You can take as long as you need. And I looked at my husband, and he sort of shook his head. And I looked back, and I said, we don't need any more time. This is exactly what we needed. Oh, and I, God. I gave her back. You're just, I can't imagine doing this. I will tell you, you know, later, later, when I wasn't in crisis anymore, and all the dust had settled, I regretted not holding her more. Oh, you did. Right? I did. But it's, it's. As I tell the woman in our group, in crisis, everything's different. And in crisis, you know what you need to know, and everything's very clear. And you do what you have to do to survive. Yeah. And so when I saw Laurel's body, and I knew that she wasn't in it anymore, and I knew it completely with certainty in every cell of my body, like my body knew it, right? My heart knew it. And my brain knew it. It was fine. It was enough. It's only later that I needed things like ritual. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I've built ritual. I've made my own ritual. But, yeah. um, you know, she really wasn't there. It really was just the body. And she looked a lot like Elsie. And I think that's what I, you know, I went so long and I was so pregnant. And I just, I needed to know that it was real. Because the next day, Molly, I got on an airplane and I flew back to Boston 2,000 miles oh. postpartum. Less than 24 hours after having a baby, I was up in the sky flying back to Boston. Uh-oh. 
that is not best practice. No. So when doctors send their patients all over the world for this, they should not feel so great about it. <laughs> yeah. Would they put their several hours having just had a baby postpartum mom on an airplane and be like, great, have a good flight? No, no, it's dangerous. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this this is our reality. I mean, we have a two-year-old. We couldn't just stay in Colorado indefinitely. Yeah. So I got on that plane and I went home and I went home to my 30th birthday. Yours? Mine. Oh, God. And my mom said, obviously, we're going to cancel the party. And I said, no. Oh, my God. Because the only people invited to the party were my life's longest friend and her family. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. So, so, and my poor friend, oh, God, Heather. Heather is, like, the best friend anyone could ask for in the whole world. She's like a sister. She is a sister. And... The whole time I was in Colorado, I hadn't told her I was there. I hadn't told her what I was doing. I hadn't told her anything. She keeps calling and she's like, I'm just going to, she's leaving messages like, I'm just going to like drop some food off at your house. And I had to be like, we're not there, (laughs) you know, but I didn't know. I wasn't ready even to tell my best friend who's like a sister. Oh my God. Yeah. I didn't know what she would think. I, I know her as well as I can know anyone, and I didn't know what she would think. Yeah. <sighs> I could tell how badly she wanted to be there for me. And I was like, I need to let my friend show up for me because she loves me and I love her. Mm-hmm. And that's why, I, that's why I did my birthday party. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So her family came over. It was not fun. <laughs> no. It was not a good time. It was like a, like a wake almost. That's exactly what it was like. And she just held me. She was just at my side all night. And my milk came in uh, while she was oh. at this party. Oh. And I'm like with the bags of peas on the breast. And our little girls, Elsie and, and her little daughter, are running around oh being my adorable God. together. I'm just sitting like, over here saying, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, uh, oh. Actually, a huge layer of trauma would not be in me yeah. if I had been able to be seen at home. Yeah. I I can't tell you how deep it runs in me Mm. that I am a cast out, that I'm literally outcast. Yeah. I am so lucky, Molly, that my friends and family have showed up for me the way they have. When I did tell Heather, she just loved me more. You know, her parents just love me more. Everyone, everyone who matters most to me only showed up all over again when they found out more details. Yeah. That's what we all deserve. That's what we all deserve because it is an added layer of hardship. To have to bear the burden of this choice is an added layer of hardship. It is a gift to have any control over the situation at all. And it is a burden that we carry. Yeah. It's tragic that when we're in the worst moments of our lives, we have this added thing that we need to navigate. Yeah. Did you have to leave? No. At first we thought I was going to have to go to Maryland, but then my midwives found a clinic in New York that would do the procedure up until week 26. It was astonishing to me that they they didn't know right off the top of their heads where to go. Yes. I don't understand that. I mean, it seems like this had never happened to anybody before. How many weeks were you? 25 at, yeah. On the day that it happened, I was uh, 25 and six days. And 
So this I rushed. Up. I rushed to yeah. um, get in to see him, but I did sort of advocate for what I wanted because they said you could come in tomorrow morning at seven thirty a.m. The night of my wow. MRI, they told me that, wow. and I and I hadn't even processed what was going on yet, and so I said, "Can I come in and speak with the doctor tomorrow? Will you? Will I be able to come in on Thursday morning for the injection and the dilation?" But I was scared that I wasn't going to have an option. Yeah. I needed to figure it out. I needed to have a couple hours to think about things. And you needed and some to say time goodbye. With your baby. Yes. 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 You needed some hours to be with your baby. That's exactly right. So I will tell you, um, I'm writing a book. Oh good. It's going very slowly. You're a but great it's writer. Thank you. Um so I'm writing a book and I'm actually co writing it with a friend who carried to term, who is raising her child with Danny Walker Malfoy. Oh, my gosh. Did you meet after? Obviously. Yes. Yeah. We we found each other. I found her when I was going through the compulsive searching the internet for kids with my kids disorder phase. Of oh, freak. God. <laughs> and she had a blog um, and she was actively going through this this decision at the time when I tuned in. I felt like such a voyeur, really. <gasps> But I reached out to her in part because I felt so guilty for reading about it when I was having such self-centered, you know, reasons. And she was so receptive. She and her husband were completely receptive. They wanted to connect with me as much as I wanted to connect with them. And we have connected over, we have way more in common than we have in difference. Our yeah. lives look very different because of we chose different paths. So our lives look very different. But in our hearts, in the decisions we made for our children, there is more alike than there is different. Mm. She, so my friend Anastasia will tell you that the same limitations that kicked me out and stressed you out mm. made her feel pressure to have an abortion she didn't want. Wow. And so when people think that they are putting these on to prevent abortions, they may actually be providing the kind of pressure that causes abortions for people who don't want them, that f forces people into a panic that doesn't allow them the time they need to, to choose from their heart and soul. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I did not need time to choose from my heart and soul because I didn't have it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But um, I could, I knew, I like, I told you about that moment where I just knew, I knew I was choosing from my heart and soul, even in a rush. But 26 weeks is a false deadline. <laughs> that is, it's the switch from second to third trimester, right? Who cares? Right. That is that is something that we put on pregnancy. That yeah. is not vastly different in a pregnancy. People make all these excuses about like when they can feel pain. Oh, my God, my precious child. Of course, I don't want her to feel pain. But there is no reality in which any pain I could have inflicted in her demise in my womb would be worse than her life because that's just the way her life was going to be. Yeah. And my friend's son, you know, he speaks those few words with so much therapy. Aww. He walks with the braces and so much therapy. Aww. He is doing as well as we could hope for. He is just like such a little trooper. He is doing so well. And he has had a lot of brain surgeries oh, in his life, sweet thing. you know, and there are times when it's really, really hard for him and his mom. And I'm so glad he's here. And she's so glad he's here. And it is not a painless existence. Yeah. So it's not about the pain. <laughs> right. 
laws and politicians and like religious leaders cannot do better than a mother can do for her child. You know, blanket statements and blanket rules and blanket ideas can never be customized to the family and to the child the way the child needs and deserves. It's absolutely true. You know, we parents aren't perfect, but we are the closest we can get because we love our kids. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question about um, when I posted on my Facebook about, I said something about um, not knowing anybody who'd done a termination as late as I had. Mm. And many other women chimed in and said that they had done that week or later. Mm-hmm. But you said that oftentimes brain malformations don't happen until later on. And that's why they don't yes. get discovered until later. Yes, that's that's what I've heard. So I'm not a neurosurgeon myself. Uh-huh. <laughs> but but I, I am a scientist. Oh, you are? Um, I am. Oh. I am. I studied chemistry and physics in college, oh, cool. and then I studied chemical engineering um, in grad school. Oh, cool. So I am a very nerdy girl. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so the heart develops really early. That's a chemical engineering problem because as soon as the, the size of the cell mass gets too big, you can't get deliver oxygen by osmosis anymore and you need a circulatory system. So ah. that develops very early, which is why there are all these heartbeat bills, <laughs> right? Okay. However, the brain is the last organ to develop. And in fact, our brain's actually continuing developing until we're about 25 years old. Oh, that's right. But, right. But what that means is that like an infant is not even born with, with, a, with a child's brain, right? Like an infant's born with an infant's brain. That brain takes a long time to get where it's going to be. And what I have heard from my team is that brain malformations sometimes don't show up at the regular intervals. So like when we're doing our anatomy scan and note that mine was a little early, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes the brain is not well enough formed for you to be able to see that it has misformed. Then other times, some of these disorders, like if your baby has hydrocephalus, for example, that can develop very rapidly mm. at any stage. You know, so my baby, part of Danny Walker is having um, the ventricles are enlarged. One of the ventricles is enlarged, which can lead to hydrocephalus. Mm. So one of the risk factors in my pregnancy was that even though I was 35 weeks at the time of the MRI and there was no hydrocephalus yet, literally any day, hydrocephalus, the, that fluid could have built up and started crushing the brain, mm. started stretching the head to undeliverable proportions, mm. which is why my backup plan of going out in the woods where my grandmother lived mm. off the grid was like not a very safe option. Right, right, right. <laughs> because I would have no way of knowing if my baby's head was of deliverable proportions. Oh my God. So that's one kind of brain malformation that can appear quite suddenly and late. And all the brain when the brain forms properly, it is still developing in through the third trimester and beyond. So if something is to go wrong, there's nothing to say that it would go wrong before your 20 week ultrasound. Yeah, my 20 week was was all good. Although it was I would I will say that it was a, a few days early. So maybe maybe that had something to do with it, too. But then so how did how did you get caught if your regular ultrasound was because okay? I moved to New York and my new doctor wanted me to get an ultrasound. Do you ever think about what if? Yeah. Me yeah. too. All because the time. I would have been, I don't know, when, when would my next ultrasound have been? It would have been way later. Never. So. It, it would have been never unless something came up. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. 
Is this your is this your only pregnancy? Yeah. Well, I had a, I had two miscarriages. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm <laughs> so okay. sorry. It's um, okay. Um, if something's wrong, they will give you another ultrasound later in the pregnancy. But you, now that you have this history, you will be given extra attention, yeah. which you should which you should accept. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I will. (laughs) Oh, you bet I will if I do this again. In my pregnancy with Lucia, Lucia is my little light after darkness. She's my little, little rainbow baby. Yeah. She, I got monthly ultrasounds through 25 weeks because our cutoff was 25 weeks. What do you mean your cutoff? Massachusetts. Got you. My maternal fetal medicine doctor gave me the option, continue with the high risk care or graduate to low-risk care. I graduated to low-risk care. That was my choice. And I went so far as to have a home birth with her because... <gasps> oh, my God. Well, I mean, you have to understand that my worst fear is very different than most people's. My worst fear is that this baby is going to be horribly ill and she's going to get stuck in a medical system that keeps her alive and tortures her. Right? Yes, so like, that's true. So, yeah. um, I, I'm working just... And also, I have a lot of medical trauma now. I don't know if you have medical trauma. I do because of my yeah. after. I don't remember what. Did we already even talk about that? I don't know. I had. No, I, I'm sorry you had complications. That's awful. That's why I don't know if I want to try again. Yeah. But that, and I'm 42 <laughs> and single. All, oh, what a lot. What oh a lot. no, no, no! I have I have some eggs frozen in L.A., but I just don't know if I'm. I'm I'm just scared of hemorrhaging again. But my doctor said that she wouldn't discourage me from trying again just to make sure that everybody's aware of what happened and have blood available. So give her to the hospital. Transfusion? Did you need yeah. transfusion? Yeah. Sorry. I hemorrhaged after Elsie's birth, actually. Oh. But I did. I managed to get away without a transfusion. Oh. Well, I mean, I didn't mind having it. <laughs> I was like, please no. give it to me. Give it to me. <laughs> Yeah, with Lucia at home, it's yes, we have a whole the medical trauma was part of my decision too. I I also live really close to a bunch of hospitals. So yeah. it didn't feel like that big of risk. Yeah, yeah. When was your loss? December 10th. That is really recent. Uh, yeah, that is really fresh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you're doing. But I know that some of my darkest days were at about eight weeks out. Like it, oh. it seemed to be getting worse before it felt like it was getting better. You know, I keep hearing from different people, three months or six months, two years, not two years. I don't know if my situation is a little bit unique because I don't have any other, I don't have a kid. I don't have a partner. I'm really indulging in my, in what I'm going through and taking my time. I don't have a job because I moved and... I'm staying at my parents' house, so I'm not paying rent. You're right. I mean, it does compound it. Everything's got two sides, right? So, like, having my daughter already was a great comfort and was a sort of therapy because I had to care for her. Yeah. But there's also a hardship in it because, man, she saw me collapse on the floor in the kitchen sobbing a lot, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And then you have to worry about that. She didn't, I hope... I think I spared her, like, the animal wailing. But you know what I mean. Yeah. But it's it's another thing to worry about. And then the same with my husband. Like, God, I love him so much and I'm glad to have him. But as you'll see in group, like, when people talk about their marriages in yeah. grief, they are almost never talking 
about how great it is. (laughs) (laughs) And because the fact of the matter is, we do not get to grieve with anybody else. So you're saying you're selfish, you're getting to be selfish and indulge yourself. We are all selfish and have to indulge ourselves. But we don't all allow for it. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm hmm. So like there was a period when I wasn't allowing my husband to be doing his husband thing and I wasn't allowing myself to be doing myself thing because I had this image in my head of, well, we're supposed to be doing this together. Mm. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's not the way it works. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. No way. You experience it completely differently. Totally. Totally wow. differently. Yeah. I had to develop a profound respect for myself and my grief, and also for him and his grief. And I do not, to this day, I do not understand his grief. Like, Oof. I don't get it. I don't know what's happening. It's a black box. What Oof. is going on inside? I don't know. But I have developed sort of an honor uh, and a deep and respect for whatever is happening in that black box, because it is his, and I honor and respect him. But that's like, that's a lot of personal work <laughs> right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not something I just turned on like a switch, right? Yeah, yeah. And I don't have to do any of that. (laughs) Which is the gift of it, right? Yeah. And what I think is we should accept all the gifts that that are available to us. Yeah. Uh, Well, we have to wrap it up. But Kate, thank you so much. You're welcome. And if there's ever anything you want to talk about that's not just the straight story, I would be happy to come on again if you ever have questions about advocacy or about support group leading or whatever. Yeah. I mean, advocacy stuff is like, I don't understand any of it and I want to know more about it. Um, You're so, you're so fresh though. You're so fresh. It's, it's always here for you. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. And it, it changes. Unfortunately, unfortunately, usually for the worse, it changes from minute to minute from day to day, from week to week, it's like a very quickly moving target. And um, with the Supreme Court, we've got Roe v. Wade is gone. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, it's not going to be around anymore. So it's going to continue moving really fast. So you just do everything you need to do for you and your heart and your soul and your body. Mm. And when you want to jump into the work, if it's healing to you in the way that pumping milk is, then it'll be here for you. What, is, what does it entail? The advocacy? Yeah. Well, lots of different ways to do it. Because I don't have a, I'm politically active. Yeah. But not in a way where I have to use my words because they don't come out of my mouth very well. So what can one do? So I do storytelling, which is a lot of words coming out of the mouth all the time. One way I tell my story is through written word, which I sometimes pitch and sometimes people find me because they want my story. Mm. So the the stories you read online, mm-hmm. I consider that activism. Yes, of course. Another way, though, is that I send my story to my elected officials mm. and they get back to me. Do you know mm. President Obama in the last <gasps> month of his presidency wrote me back himself? Holy shit. I have his letter. It's beautiful. Oh, my God. I also wrote to, like, uh, Elizabeth Warren. Uh-huh. She she has told my story several times on the Senate floor. Wow. Yeah. So, yes, you can work through your elected officials. If you don't want to tell your story yourself, they will tell it for you if they are supportive. 
sometimes I just talk at a Planned Parenthood crowd. So, like, I'll talk to Planned Parenthood supporters at a Planned Parenthood party. Uh-huh. Especially when you talk about later abortion, like abortion the third trimester, you can't assume that a bunch of Planned Parenthood donors are really behind that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Because it's, it's fringe and not everyone understands it. So you have to make yeah. sure everyone understands what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, you could get involved with abortion funds. That's another one. So these are all areas. Okay. Yeah. You know, small time advocacy is being an escort, a clinic escort. So you walk, you walk women right. into the abortion clinics past the protesters. Yeah. You, you give them a feeling of community and safety. You know, I was talking about how scarring it has been to me to feel like an outcast and to feel like my community, like I was stripped out of my community in a crisis. Yeah. A, a clinic escort is sort of the antidote to that culturally. There's a lot of there's a lot of work, but my chosen realm is busting the shame and busting yeah. the taboo. I'm a taboo buster. That's, that's my what I, That's what I feel like I'm doing too. I mean, I said I was lucky to have that outlet, but I'm so lucky that we are so lucky that we are in a position to talk about it, to actually say it out loud when there's so many people whose immediate family would yeah. shun them. Yes. That is just it's another layer of grief for them. I mean, we each have our own different layers, but I don't have that one. I really am fortunate that I don't have that one. And I will say that more often than you would expect when people do come out to their families, their families love them and their families make space in themselves mm. to hold to hold them the way they deserve, regardless of religion, regardless of politics. However... It's not universal. We don't yeah. always get what we deserve. And yeah. sometimes people just, they're too small themselves. Yeah. It makes them too uncomfortable to understand that such bad things can happen to good people for no reason whatsoever. And that the choice is really this dire. And it's a shortcoming in them. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that they take it out on, on you, on me. I'm sorry that and most, most of all, sorry that when they take it out on family, because they yeah. really should be there for their family. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Molly. I'm so lucky also to have met you. Found Likewise. You. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. Connection, you know, it's, it really is the antidote to shame. And this is yeah. such a, a shame heavy experience. We yeah. need to connect across it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank yeah. you so much for doing thank this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Be well. Have a good night. Good night, night. Bye. Thank you again, Kate. Like I said earlier in this episode, you really put into words so much that I've been unable to articulate. And I've learned so much from you about what I can do to support other women and what I can do to help protect women's rights. Folks, Thank you for listening. I hope you got as much out of that as I did. I'll put some links to some of Kate's articles in the show notes. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Spermcast. And join the Patreon if you haven't already at patreon.com forward slash spermcast. There's also a link to that in the show notes. Got something to say? Email me at spermcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 323-741-1818. Or find me on social media at Spermcast. And that's everything. Love to you all. I hope you have a wonderful week. Till then. He could be bald and bearded, shorter or tall. Funny, smart, love basketball. Gay, straight, black, white. Tiny ass with an underbite. I just need sperm. Spermcast. An Erios. 
production. Powered by ACAST. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.